You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating. I'm your host, Rachel Heinemann, licensed mental health counselor. Each week, we explore the deeper meaning of our relationship with food and our body. I interview experts in the field of eating disorders and psychoanalysis to bring you the answers about why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. All right, let's get started. Hey, 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 you guys, if you haven't already signed up for my weekly newsletter, you are missing some really good stuff. I mean, you know that I pour my heart and soul into everything, into this podcast, into my work, and the newsletter is no different. So I'm really, really excited for you to get this every Thursday. And shout out to my incredible web designer, Ariel, who finally added it to my website. So signing up is real easy peasy. And I'll see you in your inbox. This week's episode is episode 43 with Erin Ryland. Erin is so cool. She is a certified coach and a breathwork facilitator. I'm going to let her to do a little bit more of that intro when we have the conversation shared after my intro, because I don't really think I could do any of that justice. I don't know if I even fully understand it completely, but the part of it that I do understand, she's the creator of in-body love coaching. So it's like one-on-one coaching. She does a lot of, I think she does groups. Does she, Erin, do you do groups? Anyways, a lot of breath work. So (laughs) you know me, I am the first person to roll my eyes completely at the stuff. And Erin was also... But she talks about how using your breath through breath work, and she'll obviously explain all of that, can be so healing for people with eating disorders, anxiety, and definitely trauma. And we obviously talk about how that's really difficult for some people who the last place they want to be is in their body. But all that is in the episode. Just a little bit more about Erin. So she wrote a book and she's been featured in basically every single major media outlet. Like I said really, really cool person. I'm very excited to share this one with you. So let's just jump right in guys. Hello, Erin. Thank you for joining me. I'm so excited for this. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Well, why don't you start by sharing your story? It's definitely a wild one. So let's hear it. Right. It is a wild one. So to all I'm Erin, I'm now uh, certified in disordered eating, anxiety, people with trauma, and using breath work. But I work in this field now because of my journey. So I, you know, competitive swimmer and the national level and, and all of this stuff and 15, 16, and then my eating disorder kind of crept in. And, and so now it's looking back you know, hindsight is that this really stemmed from extensive childhood trauma. And it was trauma with my father and stepmother and nobody else knew because, you know, as a child, you don't really know. And so this happened for a good part of my childhood. And so that kind of set the stage of living in the lens of trauma, although you don't know it. Right. And I didn't fully, fully put the pieces together into my twenties. And so that's kind of how I was acting out. And and my eating disorder came in full fledged along with 
out of control party, you know, that kind of, you know, situation that I was in. When did your eating disorder start? Around 15. But I was, I was swimming six hours a day training and go, yeah, it was, you know, was I your was, stroke. Um, so funny breaststroke and sprint freestyle. Really? Two, like opposites. Like, yeah, me. you wouldn't put those two together. Huh? Nope. Nope. Do you know that they changed the breaststroke? Like, um, yes. I don't know. Was I it do. like 10 and years I've ago or so? Learn. I've now learned how they do it. There's, they have new flip turn things. There's all these new ways of, you know, swimming faster and it does work. You do swim faster, but it's, it's tricky at first. I definitely, definitely have uh, changed it, but I 100% into the swimming world still. And yeah, I come from a whole, my family, uh, Olympians in swimming. And wow. so yeah, our whole swimming family. So it was kind of like, that's what I did. And I was at that level and it was training so much yet. I wasn't, I started not eating enough. I started, you know, it wasn't like a, this is where I start. I thought I was overweight or fat. No, I was straight swimmer, like really, really good shape. So it wasn't like I thought I was fat or that's why I know for me, it was coming from a place of pain. And so I started using food and con- quote controlling it as this way to push on the anxiety, the sadness, the anger that I just didn't know where it was coming from. And, and so that's where it kind of crept in. And, and then my swim coach told my family, she's not eating enough. And that's kind of just where it began of, of getting right away, went to the hospital to, to check myself, thought I was fine. And they're like, uh, no, you are so medically unstable. And I was like, wait a second here, wait, where am I going? And so that's where the whole inpatient and treatment center started from 15 years old on and off till I was about 35. And 20 years, 20 years. Sometimes it was, you know, I'd be in recovery for a year or two at the most. And then it would come back in because I always said I was controlling the chaos, the chaos of whatever was going on in the moment, which was chaos. But I wasn't really, because I, I knew that there was pain. I knew I was angry. I knew I was sad and I felt so out of control. And I was just, I had guilt for being this horrible person. I felt, you know, some of the choices I made were not good. I hurt a lot of people, but I punished myself for that. And, you know, I had my son, I was quote good. I went on a, now that I see it again, hindsight, a nine month binge with being pregnant, being like, I'm hungry. I'm going to do it for my son. It was good intentions. Mm-hmm. Nothing was wrong. He, perfect, amazing birth, uh, pregnancy. But I look back and it was a nine month binge because I was deprived myself for so long that I just, that's how, what it was. And it, it was another two years of doing what I needed to do for him. And then going, what has happened? Who is this person? And I went complete opposite again to my eating disorder and was in and out of treatment again until my son, he's 13 until he was six years old. Wow. What was that like going to treatment and like leaving your kid? 
horrible. Parts of me felt when he was younger that he didn't know. And I have, thank gosh for my family. He was always with my mom. He always, we always are very close knit family. So it wasn't like this big change for him. So I, it wasn't as bad, but uh, guilt. I wanted to do it for him. Aaron, why can't you just do it for him? Which was guilt, 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 guilt. How horrible of a person am I to not do it for him? And then I did do it enough for him and myself and my family and everyone else to function, but the relapse would occur. And when he got older is when it was heartbreaking. It was always mommy's going to get better. He, he knew I was not, when he got older, I was not well, but it was, I'm going to get, be a better mommy, or I'm going for work to learn more about, you know, I try to put it in a five and six year old. No, I'm not going to completely tell him, but he knew they're not dumb. And I think that was the final finals when he was seven and I'm halfway across the country. I'm FaceTiming him. You know, I chose to get a nose tube to, I chose to get a feeding tube to restore my weight, which was completely different. But I chose, but seeing him, having seen me, like what's in your nose, mom, heartbreaking, you know, just devastating for me. I'm thinking about like so many people who talk about, I can't go to treatment because I have kids or have one kid. And I can't do that. It's just not an option. And I guess sort of thinking about it the other way, it's not really an option not to. Because if you think about it, the last time you went to treatment, he was seven, you said. And then you have the rest of his life to be his mom, as opposed to sort of never. Yes. And that point is, it's so, it's a billion percent true. That is the truth. And then you have the eating disorder saying all other things of everything. Like I, well, I can't handle this. I'm gonna, if I, I don't need to go to treatment. I can't go to treatment. I'm not sick enough. Well, if I leave him, I'm going to ruin his life. And you know, I don't have people, but in the end, there is always a way to have the support for your child. Even if you don't think there is, there is you'd be surprised, but that I didn't see that if I didn't, well, if I didn't get the treatment along the way, I, I would have been dead. But in saying that I could have kept going on and existing and trying to play the role of, of pulling off the kids. No, but being doing everything outwardly to be that good mom for him, but I was dead inside. And so I could keep that or I could go to treatment and even if you have to go back again, or if you don't, going and giving yourself that chance, because just like you said, he could have a mom that is horrible, like in a horrible state for all of his life, or he could have a mom that actually had a chance. Because, you know, I was a single mom at that. Uh, so you add in that factor, and I had every excuse why I could not leave him. And it was going away, not near, away. And so it's so hard to say and be like, okay, I'm doing this. Because I'm telling you, that was like my grip of, I can't leave him. But if I didn't, I mean, at the last treatment, it was, Aaron, you were, it's, I, I mean, I finally kind of realized that 
I wasn't going to be able to live. I mean, physically, emotionally, I was done. I was not there. They'd asked me if I was cognitively impaired and I had no clue what they were talking about. I don't remember the first two weeks, but I was functioning somehow, you know? And I wasn't, I was so, so sick. And it was hard. It was really hard. And, and I had to learn, I need to do this for me. I need to be okay with me. I need to know that I can accept myself, love myself. I can have a life. And in turn, that is going to make my son's life that much better. He will be able to live a life if I was able to. So it's flipping the narrative, which was very, very hard. It's just, it's very hard. Very hard. Yeah. Tell me about your decision to get the tube that I don't ever hear that that's a voluntary thing. <laughs> right? How did that happen? Yeah. Let me tell you, throughout the years was told, you know, said, you need to, you need to. I'd say, no, no, no. I would refuse. I mean, all of that out of fear, fear, just the fear of like loss of control. I, uh, what the eating disorder would say, you're going to, you're going to fucking blow up or you're going to, there, you know, all it will tell you. I, chose to get that too, because at that time, my body wasn't responding to the meal plan, to the food that they were trying to be like, Aaron, you need to just restore or even get to a place of functioning. So they said, you need to, we recommend getting this tube or, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know. And so I said to myself and seeing my son and knowing I finally was like, I may die. And getting the tube is a big part of saving my life. And as much and as, let me tell you, terrified, I wasn't happy about it. I'd fight it. I'd fight it, you know, into, in my inside every day. But it came to that point where I wanted to live and I had to finally relinquish my control to a treatment team, even though I thought I knew more. I didn't trust them. Who are they? They don't know me. I finally just decided to let go of the control because what did I have to lose? You know, I could go back to my disorder if I really wanted to. So I just chose, let's try something different. Wow. So how did the rest of that part go? Hard. It was one word answer. Real hard. (laughs) It was, I mean, and I had, I had my, I was there for four months total and I had the tube in for about two of the months. First month, I, it just wasn't what we tried to have at work. And then the last month it was getting me out and then not having that crutch almost. It became a crutch of, I don't need to, you know, I had it. So it was that period of, it was fear every day, every day. And every day I was eating on top of that and believing that this dietitian had no intention but to just get me well. And it was probably like one of the scariest times because I finally was like, okay, I'm trusting it, but I'm also physically seeing that I'm changing. It was fear and then everything started coming out. Oh, everything. And it was a lot. Yeah, it's hard for me to put into words. But, and 
it's not an easy choice. It's not at all. So I always say, yeah, I did this, but it's not like I'm saying, hey, I did this, do this because it's going to be easy. But you know what? Recovery from anything is not an easy or linear. It's not a linear process, but that's okay. It's okay. As long as you keep trying. And like you say, it's a a choice. It's not just one choice. It's a choice that you make every single day to do. Yeah. It was another year after I got home of doing the step down treatment. Now I was lucky enough because a lot of people don't have that luxury, but where I, in California, you have a lot more options of step down treatment. Some people are like, they have to just go back to outpatient. And that's so much harder. It's a whole nother shebang of like not enough access to treatment, but I had it and I knew I had it and it's me sticking it out, me going to the day program, but leaving at night and continuing to do what was I knew needed because I could go back. I could just start going back to my old ways, but what I felt most comfortable in, even though it was comfortable, it was killing And so it was another year of really believing that I could do this and living without my disorder because I was my disorder. I was fearful to live without it. And even just to clarify what you had mentioned before, that once you targeted your eating disorder and perhaps you weren't using behaviors anymore, which obviously took a really long time because that's really, really difficult, then all the trauma and whatever else was underneath that comes up. And not to minimize the work to say that that's where the work begins, because it's obviously not where it begins, but that's where the next stage begins. So it's not like, oh, no behaviors. You're fixed. You're great. No, it it just gets harder. It does. It does. And, And I think that's what like treatment, you know, it is residential treatment and treatment is obviously needed in some like to stop these behaviors, to stop. But it also, like insurance companies, as soon as those kind of stuff, they want to like, okay, we're done paying for this. Let's move on out. And so you do touch on, you have great groups, you have community, you have support. You kind of start in with the therapy there, but that's just the top layer. And so afterwards, it's about starting to really work on why is it that you have, or you're, no one wants an eating disorder. It's not fun. It's not like this is something someone wants to have, but it's then choosing to say, okay, I'm going to start. What am I feeling? It is about the food, but it's not about the food. Yeah. So maybe taking it like from a slightly less depressing note to where are you now? What does your life look like now? It's so different. I tell people who don't know me, if you would have known me six, seven years ago, there's no way you would think that this was me. And people that do know me are like, they're so proud of me or amazed or, you know, because it was so hard for 20 years. And so now I'm in a place where I knew that when I was fully recovered, that I had, my purpose would be to help other women, to help other people who go through or been through or struggling or any, I mean, have anything that is making their life not what they want to be. That's why I left my job in academia. I could have sat there for another. I was there for 12 years. Great job. Great. But I said, this is not an alignment. This isn't where I know 
my life can make a difference. My past can make a difference in giving hope to someone else. So where I get like, I would never wish what I went through for anyone to go through what I did, but I know people do and people are. And any small piece of what I went through, I think I went through everything. So I can relate to people that might have different parts of it. And so that's why I know like what I'm doing, what my mission in life is, is to bring awareness, to open the dialogue, make it so this isn't like, you know, shameful. Let others know it's okay. It's okay. You will be okay. You are not your disorder. You are not what happened to you. You have a voice. You have many people that understand because I didn't really get that. It didn't really feel that way until I started my healing. And then I had my own coach who went through what I had gone through. And I, she still, we still talk, but she was the one who I could be like, I, she gets me and she's not judging me. And she's not trying to quote, fix me because I wasn't broken. Yes. You were never broken. I was never broken. I was never unworthy. We are inherently worthy of a happy, abundant, joyful life. It's just whatever has happened that we are, that you can get stuck into that place of, I don't deserve, or this is where I will be. Yeah. And even besides for your work, which is making such a difference, you have a life outside of that. Besides for like worrying about what you're not or going to eat. My day does not revolve around everything disordered, weights, you know, eating, not eating, exercise, everything that my brain would be from the moment I woke up to the, it, just my life to now where it's not. And the shift is so different. It's such a different place that sometimes you're like, that's great. This chick, she had an eating disorder. She's better now. Okay, good for her. How is that going to be? Because I, I said the same thing about people. I was that person. And it's not like, oh, yay, I'm great. Life is still shitty sometimes. Let's just be honest. Like, you know? Yeah. But my difference is for me, I don't go to my disorder to fix or to help me feel okay. That's the difference. I feel it, it sucks sometimes, but it's not through my eating disorder or self-harm or, or whatever, all the stuff that I did to myself to punish myself, I don't go there now. I feel it triggers. I always say our teachers. So when I'm, oh, when I'm I like that, yeah. Right. When you're triggered, whatever it is, you have that trigger of like, and you get upset, sad, angry. I always invite people to, Hey, look at that. Like, what is it triggering inside of you? Like, what is it that maybe needs to be looked at or felt or, oh, no, that's why I'm triggered. I'm not triggered because A, B, C, D on the surface, it's a little deeper. And when you start seeing these triggers and noticing the patterns, that's where you could start to be like, I don't have to go to this maladaptive inner critic mean part that we can have. We can just take a step back and look. Instead of going, yeah, I there. love that the curiosity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had mentioned before in your work. Currently, you use a lot of breath work, and I know that I'm the kind of person 
I think you said that you're the kind of person originally when you hear this, it's like insert eye roll, whatever meditation, spirituality, people. So first off, like what is breath work and, you know, sort of unpacking that (laughs) debunking the eye roll people. Right. And I, my thing is the eye roll. So it's 100%. (laughs) I am the eye roll person. So in a nutshell, breath work, basically like it's being able to use your breath to tune in and release, you know, old beliefs, negative patterns, energy that's like literally stuck inside of us. And how does this, okay, our bodies hold on to so many things that even if we work on it, like, you know, therapy or talk or, you know, work through the body, it holds on to things from the get-go, from way back when, you know, I've worked on it. If we don't allow our bodies to release, to let go of these things that we are holding on to, it's still there. And it's going to come up in a way, in different ways that are then self-destructive. And so by using the breath, we're able to tune in, to go through and with these things, use it to, it's literally like a release. And I've, I still release stuff that I'm like, you know, my mentor with breathwork, I still have, and it could be stuff that's going on. And it's just, it's this literal, you feel like this lightness and it's a consistent, you know, thing. And it can be very short. And it could be like the meditative, the integrative, which is, you know, the shorter things. And that's you. I mean, I do it on a daily basis or the longer thing uh, ones where it's like kind of a slight, like quote journey. And these are all separate from, it's not meditation. It's not mindfulness because those are all different modalities where I feel like breath work is it's relaxation is the after effect of it not the aim for it. And that's what what, pause breath work is where it's different. That's who the pause is called pause breath work is who I did it from. And and it's, well, let me pause you for a second. What are some examples of what you mean? Short or the long journey? What does it actually look like? Yeah. Yeah. So when I say like short integrative, it can be used in a daily basis quickly because we want to go, a lot of us can be that heightened state of just the fight or flight, the go, go, go. And you're like, no one wants to be like that. Your body wants to be in that rest and digest the type of feeling. And so it's even sitting and saying like, okay, I'm feeling real irritated. I'm feeling that feeling of, of needing to come down. And it's just sitting and literally doing deep breaths and being intentional though, <laughs> you know, and I'll do like, even just some deep breaths in through the nose and like the out through the mouth. And it's the shallow breathing. It's, it's really, you can start noticing I'm a shallow breather that doesn't get oxygen going. You want to be able to have the whole body. Oxygen is important. <laughs> and so a lot of it us kind of is <laughs> right. And so a lot of us hold our breath or what have you. And so it's taking, you know, different patterns that I have, or, but the easiest one is just in through the nose and out through the mouth and doing 10 of those takes a minute, two minutes. If you do that throughout your day, especially when you are feeling it, 
then doing it as a practice of even when you're not feeling it and you're not feeling at that heightened state, it becomes so, it's just like breathing. It's just like closing your eyes, opening your eyes. It becomes just like, like, I don't even notice that I'm doing it. And I'm like, oh, I am doing it. But at first it is. And so it can be that quick of a um, turnaround. And you don't really believe, eh, kind of like, what? Okay. But I guarantee you, when I have clients, try doing this five times a day and for the next week and tell me how, you, how it worked out for you. And every single time it's, wow, that works. And, and it's just these little shifts can be, it, it changes. It really does change your mindset for the day. And it can be done. And that's why I love it. It can be done walking, standing, sitting, and it's, it's a game changer. And this only came into my life a few years ago. Well, tell me about the journey that you're talking about, sort of more complex breath work, I guess. Yeah. And, and so the journey part, the meditative part is we call it like a journey <laughs> and it's guided and you know, insert for- eye roll here. Okay. okay right. <sighs> <sighs> okay, Aaron. But it's, it's more of when you want, you had things that are, are stuck inside of you. Now, maybe it's whatever, um, doubt, pain, anger, that you might just feel angry all the time. And you're like, you don't need to know why. That's the great thing about brother. We don't need to figure out why. Really, that does not matter why in a lot of ways of why it's come, whatever it is, depending on our goals, I'll take someone through a, a session of, I am here, I am now, I'm, I'm not every which way, wherever it may be, because they want to come back into an alignment of the here and now, not in the your head monkey mind. And so it's going through and just having them slip into this place of me guiding them and having a mantra and allowing their breath to take over, which is, that's the hardest part is the first five minutes where you're like the mind, but you're going to breathe, right? Your body's not going to stop you. And it's once you hit that place, it's an automatic and, and you, sometimes you don't even re- like remember the session, but you're releasing stuff. And afterwards, people truly are like, oh, I don't remember it. But the release, some people cry, some people, they have like that tetany and it's like, it's just energy that wants to get out. So it's like shaking out your hands. It's feeling these cramps that are like, why am I cramping in my shoulders? Why, why, why? Well, your body is trying to release this energy, this stuckness that when it is released, you feel this, it's like a peace, like a feel like, like you can finally breathe again. And it's doing it. Yeah, it's it's guided. Yeah. So what are you saying? Like what kind of breath to do for how long? Is that sort of what it looks like? Yeah. And it's really, like I said, depending on the person, if, if they're wanting to lessen their anxiety or if it's, I want to release my limiting beliefs. It's specific breath patterns that I always invite people. I guide them, you know, different ones for it. And as I'm guiding them, I'm doing it with them to get them into the pattern. Or I remind them if sometimes you'll, they'll slip back in to a different pattern because they're on an automatic, but it's that with the mantra with me saying what they want 
bringing that in and releasing what they don't want and what's no longer needed, what is no longer serving them. And depending on, there's many different breath patterns. Some are a little bit more intense, some are not so much. But with that is where the release, where this energy is really, I mean, I literally will boohoo sometimes when I do it with my mentor, she guides me. That's obviously just what needed to come out. And she's guiding me and she's saying, okay, so let's, you know, and, and it's, it's all about the person and specifically, but it is a definite guided type of session where I don't have someone do that when they're walking around with me because it has to be very, it is watched. I do watch. I am. And so with zoom, it's harder, but I can't wait until I can get back and be with, with them more so, but I am watching them. I am breathing with them. I am making sure that things don't, because you can become a little bit, your nervous system can be like, what's going on, especially with the, with eating disorders. When I work with specifically women with breath work and eating disorders. So what could happen? Well, you become untethered is what I like to say is hyperventilating. Their nervous system isn't ready for the release. And so it's, they, they can hyperventilate. They can literally almost dissociate to where it's like, they don't know where they are. That's why we have a lot of grounding in things beforehand of let's know, like, this is where your picture is in your room. If you start to feel, let me know. And then we'll bring you back into that. That is the photo. This is where you are. And this is sometimes what happens. Not a lot, I want to say, but it's knowing that you're in a safe place because feeling unsafe is not, not what we want. <laughs> That's not a good feeling. And so being able to bring them back into the moment and then actually like taking them, okay, no, let's sit up. Let's go work, you know, through this. And for me with the eating disorder, the last place I wanted to be was in my body. Like, yeah, no, thanks. No, no, no. So, so that's why I've found breathwork to be so powerful with eating disorders because it has you sit in that uncomfortable place that, you know, that can't be scary. Yeah. I guess I'm curious, you know, for more of the people who aren't ready. So it sounds like somebody in their recovery who might be kind of ish ready, this might be appropriate for someone who has an eating disorder and, or a trauma history, like you're saying, the last place in the world they want to be is in their body. And for somebody who physically feels unsafe in their body, how does that work? Yeah. So it's all about like working with them pre breath work. I don't just have, okay, let's do this here. We're going to work on this and it's going to, let's just go. I don't want that for them, for myself. Cause I've felt, I know it works. And so it's a lot of actually talking beforehand and working, okay, this is, if there's trauma, it's really like, okay, we're going to kind of just work on allowing yourself to feel into this part of your body because where does it feel safe? Okay, we're going to know where that safe part is and where it feels unsafe. We're going to breathe into it through that safe place. And it might be your hand on that place, it might be. And so knowing if it feels unsafe there that you're going to bring in that safe place, but it's also opening the window of tolerance, as I call it, very slowly. 
very, very slowly. And it might just be one part because we're not trying to open up Pandora's box. That's no one, the flooding of emotions is not the goal to try to get there. I just want to get there. Let's get this out because it, it's just not safe. And so that's why I always, we talk a lot about specifically the trauma or specifically the pain, the eating disorder, where they're feeling unsafe, safe, and bringing those two to use those as a way to anchor into their body and start to see that their body is a safe place. It is very safe. It's just our mind that has made it so what has happened to us, it isn't safe. That's how we feel, you know? And so it's just a little, the little, it might take a while, but tiny opening ups of these different places can be a lot just in that one little place, but it, it is really, really amazing to see personally and with clients, just that one little place that you may have opened up that has felt so just fear and, and wanting, never wanting to be in can change. It really just makes you feel grounded. It makes you feel okay. It makes you feel safe again. And that's, that's really yeah, cool. And that's why it's so powerful in it. Yeah. I mean, and especially when we're talking about history of trauma and eating disorders, even if somebody doesn't have a history of trauma with an eating disorder and their body image is terrible and the whole body thing is so, so uncomfortable, you're saying incrementally, this can completely transform that. Oh, 100%. Like 100%. Because I just, like I said, I, the last place I wanted to be, I did not want to look at myself. I did not want to be, it's like, I didn't even want anything to do with my body. And so small places, it's not even like, let's look at ourselves and let, no, we're not doing that. It's just finding those little, those little places where you feel safe and expanding that to the places where that feel very unsafe. And it's, it's a process, but it's also this practice where you are then able to, when you feel unsafe in your everyday life, if you feel unsafe, that's when you can bring in these small breathwork practices that bring you back in an automatic way because you already know what feels safe, where it feels like physically feels safe in your body and using your breath. Yeah. Going from somebody who the last place you wanted to be was in your body and through your process of recovery and breath work, where are you now? I'm at a place where I'm not scared to live. And I, I now see that I was scared to live not only in life, but in my body for fear of all the lies it told me. And so now I'm in my body. I mean, to be real, it's not like I'm like every day, yay, yay. Like it, it's not like an always like a feeling of a yay place but I know that it's not the enemy. Which is a very powerful shift. Yeah, it's not the enemy. And when I'm upset and when things are not great, using my body as the enemy, I mean, it is just, it's automatic in a lot of ways, but it is obviously <laughs> can destroy you. In the end, as much as we want to say it, this, that, or the other, we deserve to be this. No, you don't deserve this. You don't deserve what, what is happening. It's not your fault, but it does take some intentionality to just 
try. I know a lot of times it's hard to just, the fear of trying and failing is a big thing. What if I try this and it doesn't work and I failed again? That's me. That was me. But if you keep trying, you're not failing. And guess what? I'm able to now sit in my body and not pick it apart. I'm able to sit in my body and be like, if I'm angry, it's like, that's not my stomach's fault. That's not this's fault. Yes. There's no one's fault. My arms aren't, you know, where I could go and pick apart. What am I feeling? It's the feel to heal mentality. There's no spiritual bypassing, as I like to say it. You know, you got to go through. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, if somebody is interested in learning more about breathwork or about your work, where can they find more info? I'm always like, and always <laughs> come stalk me over on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do a lot of a lot of my stuff on Instagram and through that it's my website. And I, I put a lot of like resources and things about breath work and about what is this, what am I talking about? What what is the, what exactly is this all about? And a lot of different articles and things, interviews I've done where kind of lays it out more in a place where people can read it, you know, and not have to try to understand what I'm saying. And so you know, my website or I'm on Instagram. So what's your website and what's your Instagram handle? So website is in body love. So in body, cause that's where we want to be. So it's in body love coaching and that's my website. And my Instagram is Aaron underscore Ryland underscore love. I love that. I'll link to that in the show notes so that people can check it out. Yeah. So it's Aaron Ryland love. And I mean, a lot of the stuff in there is just more understanding. I'm, I try to be real and be like, here, here's this, here's this thought. This is how life is, but there is hope. There is a way people do care. You know, I care. (laughs) There are many people that care and seeking help does not make you weak. Yes. That's an important one. And it doesn't mean you're sick or I I don't want to be sick. I'm not going to get help. You know what? Reaching out does not mean anything more than you're reaching out. Yeah. It's a strength to admit that you... It is. It's courage. Support. Yeah. Well, thank you again for joining me. I'm really glad to have learned more and have met you. And thank you for sharing your story. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter you'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.